Hello friends, welcome back to my solo road. I am Sydney, it is me. Um, I'm sitting in Montana still, probably the same place I was last week and the week before that. I did find a better campsite though with service so I don't have to have like a night spot and a day spot because where I was sleeping did not have cell phone service. So in order to work, I had to move every day and find service. Well, we are winning now because I have a spot that I can sleep and has service. I will be putting this whole area, like I'll kind of label each one on my website so you guys can find this campsite if you want it. But yeah, I love this place. I, I keep going back and forth between this area and Bozeman. I'm okay with saying that on the podcast because there's way less people here and I'm not really telling you where I'm sleeping, I guess. But the city, when you see me running errands and stuff online, I have been going to Bozeman and I must admit that Bozeman is probably my favorite city of all time. Like I've been all over the country and before Bozeman, Bend, Oregon was like, my number one place. And uh, my God, is Bozeman, it's so nice. It's like a mix of beauty and like everyone here is so outdoorsy. It's all of the things I love about Bend, but it's way less West Coasty, you know? And I love the West Coast. I'm, you know, born and raised in Indiana. And so there's something about Montana that feels more at home. You know, like the people here have accents. Like I kind of tend to lose my accent a little bit when I go out West for a really long time. I lost it. It was so patchy in Chicago too, because nobody in Chicago really has it because it's a big city. Then I would go back to Indiana and kind of get it back. And then I'd go back to Chicago and people would be like, wait a second, why do you have an accent now? It's like that now. I was in the West Coast for so long, lost the accent, and now I'm back in Montana and I'm starting to kind of hear it peep through and all these people. And I can hear myself say different words how I used to. I don't know. Did that make sense? Did you follow? I, it's 1130 and I'm two and a half glasses of wine deep, but you gotta do what you gotta do, you know? So that made it sound like I have to do what I have to do for the podcast. I meant... I did all of that and now I remembered I have priorities and things to do, like the intro for this episode. We should just get to it. Um, I have already done the interview that you will now listen to. It's with Nat and Abby, Natalie and Abigail from Let's Play Ride and Seek. It is two women in a van. I believe they're married. They say it on the podcast, so you'll know soon, but I'm pretty sure they're married and they're just two awesome women that I, I love following. They've been in their van for a long time now. They have two dogs. Got to meet them in Moab right before a gathering. And we only got to talk for like 20 or 30 minutes because I was going to the gathering and they were not. But I absolutely love them. And I was so excited to finally have them on the podcast. And Abby is a really talented photographer. So I will kind of share all of the places at the end of the episode where you can find her and her artwork. And then Nat is a really, really talented chef. And that was one of my favorite parts of the episode too was I worked in the restaurant industry for a very short period of time. She was in the restaurant industry for a long time, but it is such a weird industry. Like food and Bev is, it's very weird and it's really a close community in whatever city that you're in. And it's also in some cities, highly, highly toxic and just really an unhealthy environment. So, like it can be no shade if you work in the restaurant industry, like where I worked was like that. And so it was just fascinating to be able to talk to someone and see if uh, what her experience was and if it was the same as mine. And so you'll get to hear all about that, their experience on the road. And yes, let's go ahead and jump into it. Get your glass of wine or coffee or tea or water or whatever that you've got. I'm not going to be drinking any more wine for the night. I'm going to lay in bed uh, and finish watching Grey's Anatomy, which I have been binge watching for like the 20th time. And I just got to the part where I don't want to say anything triggering and I also don't want to do a spoiler 
anywhere here, but uh, where Mr. Clark, the husband of a certain wife, comes into the hospital to, like, get back at everyone that wronged him. Do you follow? Do you follow? We lose a few people in this episode. It's horrifying. But needless to say, I do want to watch that episode because every time it's so good. Also, I'm realizing that Lexi, I'm sorry, if you don't like Grey's Anatomy, fast forward just a little bit. But Lexi, best actress on the show. Owen Hunt, worst actor on the show. I love them both. But like Owen Hunt, horrible actor, really dramatic, terrible kind of. I realize it more and more every time I watch the show. And then Lexi Gray, my God, can she make me cry in the flip of a switch? Okay, but back to the things. Get your drink and let's go meet Nat and Abby. Okay, everyone, and we are back with Nat and Abby, who also have your pups, Bear and Peluche, correct? Yes, Peluche. Is Did I say that right? Peluche. Uh, bear and Peluche. Peluche, uh, that's what it is. Well, I was trying to remember from meeting you guys. I was like, I know they said it, and then I read it in your bio, and I was like, dang, I cannot remember how they said that. Peluche, okay, very cute dog. Uh, what breeds roughly are your two dogs? My Everyone that listens to the podcast, we're, we're big dog people. Absolutely. Well, uh, my dog Bear is a pit bull boxer mix, we believe. He was a rescue. I got him at two, so I believe with boxer, but yeah, a brindle pit mix. Yeah, and then Peluche is a Pomeranian, but not like the like purebred little tiny ones. He's about 20 pounds, so... Yeah, he was a little bit bigger than... But he was very, very fluffy. He's a fluff dog. Um, Okay, so I would love for you guys to introduce yourselves, share a little bit about you, what you do, how you do it, living on the road, anything that you want to say. Yes, I'll go first. I am Natalie. Um, I'm the brown gal. <laughs> um, I... <laughs> Yeah, I grew up in South Carolina, so in a small town, and I moved to Charleston, so really I consider that more my home. It's on the coast. And yeah, I just like to write and cook, and I've been on the road now with Abby for a year and six months. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I'm Abigail. I originally grew up in Pennsylvania and then relocated to Charleston, where I met Natalie, and we dated for four years, and now we've been married for two. Oh, love that. I wasn't sure if you guys were, if you had been married, if you were married or not. Um, not that that makes a huge difference, but curious. Um, okay, so you said you've been on the road together for a year and six months now, correct? Yes. Okay, yes. so how did you, you were in Charleston, how did you, is that where you kind of discovered van life, maybe online or in person? Yeah, so I I originally um, discovered van life through a friend that I met. Um, he was on the road before van life kind of was really a thing in his little VW, um, traveling with his dog Momo. He is now pretty huge on Instagram, but I had the the um, opportunity to sit with him in my driveway and just chat with him over wine for several hours, kind of about the lifestyle and, you know, being a minimalist and being able to travel constantly. And I had never traveled at 27 years old. I still hadn't been anywhere. So it really stuck with me. Um, and so it wasn't for five years after that, but I was a chef. So being in the kitchens constantly and not really feeling, you know, fulfilled in what I was doing, I wanted to explore that more. And so after meeting Abby, who had been traveling by herself for quite some time, um, really opened me up to that idea again. So then I proposed the idea of van life to her and she was all for it. Oh, yeah. I, I immediately said, yes, let's let's do this. Let's jump on it. I had studied abroad in college twice. I spent basically a year split between Ecuador and Italy. 
and I just love traveling. Um, so van life was definitely, definitely something that I was interested in and went full in on. You're the flies. We deal with it all the time. <laughs> I know. Well, this one was like a mosquito and I'm like, no, no, no. I'm already covered head to toe. I don't need one more. Um, okay. So especially with you, uh, do you prefer Nat or Natalie? Nat. Yeah. Nat's fine. Nat. Yeah, Nat. Okay. Um, I, I'm very similar in the sense that, A, I had not traveled very much growing up at all, and I was dating a chef, but I was the events manager for the restaurant, so I was, like, locked in the restaurant industry as well, and it was, I don't think a lot of people know, the restaurant industry people know very well, but a lot of people outside of that don't know how many hours, especially, I know our head chef, I mean, he basically lives there. And so, I mean, we would, oh, yeah. him and I would like lock ourselves in an office and like nap for 20 minutes when we could, because we were just there all the time, constantly. Yeah. Do you think those two things, like the lack of travel and the, I mean, you kind of mentioned it, like a lack of fulfillment is really what impacted you to be so enamored by van life? Because that's kind of always my go-to answer. I'm like, I was stuck and I hadn't done it yet. Absolutely. Yeah. As a, I mean, I've always enjoyed cooking. Um, and I went to culinary school and I got into the kitchens and, you know, I, I've done everything from the, you know, the super fast paced, um, sports grills, higher end Italian restaurants, you know, all kinds of things working for, you know, chefs that are really intense and some that really, you know, maybe didn't care as much. Um, I've been all over the spectrum. And yeah, you work so many crazy hours. I started out as a line cook and I'm working in 120 degree kitchens, you know, getting oil burns and, you know, and then, yeah, you're, you know, powerhousing beers after work because that's the lifestyle. So sleep was, you know, I was sleep deprived and went from that to being a sous chef and running kitchens. So, you know, I'm working even more hours. I mean, 60 plus hours a week. I'm trying to work with people that don't necessarily all the time care that they're there as line cooks. Um, and also trying to assert myself as a woman in that position in that kind of industry is all that working against me. And then also not doing food that I really cared about. It was more circumstantial, a lot of the jobs that I got into. So yeah, it just, it took a toll. And I was like, I want to find a new way to, not even if it was in cooking, I just at that point was ready to find another way that was fulfilling to me. And so travel became the goal. And then van life came from that. Yeah. Abby, I'm curious, what were you doing before van life? I guess, well, I still am a full-time photographer and I had my own studio. I was actually, it was actually a really good time in my life. I was, I had a successful studio and, and I had another part-time job teaching pole dance fitness. Um, I had a lot of good things going on for me. So it wasn't like I was in a position of like, oh, I hate my life. I need to, you know, get out of it or make a change. But I have wanderlust. I have that itch. So as soon as, I, you know, she's the one working 60, 80 hour work weeks and was frustrated and fed up. And so I was ready for both of us to take, take that leap and try something different for sure. Yeah. And have more time yeah. with each other, really. <laughs> yeah, we, it was, we definitely lacked quality time. I might've had success as far as career goes, but, but we didn't have quality time together. And so van life, that was a push. Now we have all the time together. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's dating the that's chef a whole and other working piece. at the restaurant. <laughs> yeah. I think our most like quality time was literally at the restaurant when I'm coming in and like doing orders and he is like trying to tell me ETAs on like, like yeah. it, literally yeah. just having a dynamic in the restaurant was literally the only time that we spent together. And then we would like zombie walk back home and just be like, okay, <laughs> yep. like see you in the morning when we have to get back there at 6 a.m. 
Okay, so from the day where you got to sit in your driveway, you said, and talk with your friend about van life, um, how long did it take from that day where you kind of realized this dream? Like, you might have already wanted to travel, but you kind of realized van life and had an actual conversation about it. Um, How long went from that day to actually moving into your van and hitting the road? Uh, Five years. Almost five years. It was five years. five years. So she actually met, had this conversation before we even met. Yeah. That oh, seed oh, for okay. van life was planted in Natalie's head before I even came into the picture. Got it. Yeah. Um, but when the, we decided we needed a change in life, um, just because the whole working 80 hours a week isn't fulfilling, not having quality time, etc. Um, that seed came back up. And then I think from yeah. then it was... maybe six months when we bought the van yeah it was only like a six month period from deciding that's what we're doing and to finding uh the van that we have the sprinter van we have so it wasn't too long yeah how long was the build for you guys uh it took us a year and a half so we were still both working full-time like she took a third job on and Mm -hmm. then I was a sous chef at the time so yeah on our two days off we were working on it so yeah it took us a good year and a half Mm -hmm. plus not knowing what the hell we were doing at all so you know Right. You guys DIY'd it. So that's a challenge in of itself. I mean, that's really important to, for people to know though, because they, they think like you see on social media, the end results. Um, or even if you pay attention to some builds, they go by so quickly. And like, I mean, I know like my build took two months because I had a carpenter and an electrician helping me. Um, but I think people realizing the differences and that your timeline doesn't have to look like people that you follow. Like it can, it can be five years. You can discover it right now and you might not be doing it for five years until, you know, your life hits a point where you can do it or you are ready to like take action on it. So I think that's important for people to understand it doesn't have to be so quick (laughs) yeah definitely okay so where all have you been in the last year and year and a half that you've been on the road uh so we've been mostly all over the country um we started out in well in charleston we went to the keys in florida and then we went uh, took a southwest route and so we were in cali for a while we went to canada and then Mm -hmm. came back down and then we were in mexico we were in baja mexico for the winter so we really just haven't touched the midwest still and we're just now taking our time through the Northeast um, with COVID. Obviously, things have been interesting. But, but yeah, three countries now. And yeah. yeah. Coast to yeah. coast. Yeah. North to south. Yeah. Yeah. We moved, we moved fast in the beginning, like a lot of people tend to do. Absolutely. Um, but we're slowing down now. We're well, taking yeah. it in. <laughs> yeah. for, for multiple reasons. Yeah. Um, where have you been in Canada? I'm curious. The western part, Vancouver, Banff area. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not, we haven't been all over Canada, just that region, but we really enjoyed it. Yeah. 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 That was my plan this summer. I was like, so I had everything planned out. I was going to go to Alaska and then I was going to go over to Banff and do all this stuff. And then they closed the borders and I probably wouldn't have wanted to do it anyways, just because of safety. Um, and I would like that. I had waited. I mean, I've been on the road almost three years now total and I had waited until this summer and I was just like crushed when that happened, but it is what it is. I have next summer. Um, out of all the yeah. places, mm-hmm. what was your favorite? Banff has got to be somewhere up there. Yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, Banff definitely, you know, speaks to the, the photos and stuff. I mean, it's definitely, you got to go. Um, very touristy, obviously. But um, if you can get on the outskirts and, you know, we like to do a lot of national parks. So we typically do uh, the longer trails and you'd be surprised, you know, people are really there to see the yeah. overpass and the sites that are pretty close. So if you take longer routes, then you can kind of get away from all the people. But um, that's a really hard question because there's been so many 
amazing places. Um, one that stands out for me is Glacier National Park in Montana. We absolutely mm-hmm. loved that area. Um, I think we were also very surprised that we liked man- Montana, you know? <laughs> There's a couple of places. I'm in Montana right now, and it's. Oh, yeah. oh, awesome. I keep telling people, because I ditched my plans to go to Washington to come to, like, the Montana-Wyoming area, and everybody was like, are you kidding me? Which, don't get me wrong, Washington, beautiful. I'm sure I'm going to get there. But I was, like, craving this type of environment. And I live in Indiana, so this is, like, me working my way back home. But everybody was so surprised. And I was like, you guys, you can only say that if you've never been to Montana. It's amazing. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. That's the truth. Yeah. And then then Baja. Oh, yeah. Baja, we have to, you know, that was, um, it really opened my mind up just because I, like, I hadn't traveled out of the country. I'd been to Spain when I was in high school for a trip, like, that was on an itinerary. But... It wasn't the same for me. And then when I got to Baja, it was just the energy there was unreal. Like, you know, a lot of people were worried about us going over the border and like, you got to worry about safety and this and that. And me being the more worrisome out of the out of the bunch here, I was like, definitely had all these questions. But then getting to Baja, it's so many people, such an influx of people, snowbirds from Canada and people from all over the world that are hanging out at these beaches. And so the van life community there was probably the strongest on our whole journey so far. Um, and just getting to meet so many different types of people. Um, and then being able to stay on the beach there. We were in Todos Santos. It's a very charming little city all the way in Baja Sur. And like every morning you wake up, there's like you're on a surfer beach and there's whales um, just popping out of the water constantly. Yeah. Like whales on the shoreline. I'm talking you can walk out to them because they're like scrubbing their backs trying to get barnacles off on the shoreline. It's unreal. Just watching the sunsets are unreal. Like, yeah, it was, that was, it was so magical. Like, that was crazy. I still, like, haven't really let it process that we were there. Um, We had planned on six weeks and then we were there for three and a half months. So we couldn't leave. (laughs) That's amazing. So, um, because I, and I, I have, I've known a lot of people that go to Baja. I've never really perceived it as unsafe, but as soon as I have not, like I said, I haven't been there yet, but it's mainly because every time I'm in San Diego, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go down to Baja. And then my family, everybody on Instagram, everybody is just like, oh my God, you cannot go to Mexico. It's Mexico. Don't go to Mexico. Mm -hmm. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. It is, first of all, it's, it is Mexico. Like, it's very touristy and kind of whitewashed to an extent. Um, But also, just because it's Mexico doesn't, like, people just equate that with so much, like, danger. And that's, that, that is a dangerous way of thinking. Like, you can't just write off this entire country. Um, Especially, like I said, in a place like Baja is, it's beautiful. And I want to go so badly, but I try... I am really close with my family and my parents already, I give them heart attacks like all the time. Like they're just paranoid for me. (laughs) And so I hate to do that to them. You know, like if every time I say I'm going to go, I'm like, okay, I'm going to go with a group of people. And then they get so nervous for me. I'm just like, you know what? I'll go to one of the thousand places I can in the United States because there's plenty to do here. And I would rather not scare you. So I would love to hear a little bit more about like you said, you're um, more cautious, I guess. What are safety precautions that you took and that you may not have even needed once you got there? Like, what are, you know what I mean? Like, what were some things that you thought might be the case? And then you got there and you were like, this that's just not how this is at all. Well, that's funny because I, be, I do worry a lot and I always have these ideas and scenarios in my head. But as far as taking like over, you know, overwhelming precautions, we really don't. Um, I think intuition is huge. 
And I think, you know, as women on the road, that's something that we, you know, we constantly have in the back of our minds. Um, So it was, you know, with our dogs, it makes a huge difference for me. Not that Pitbull is very protective. He's very protective. You know, he would never hurt anyone, but he's got a very intense bark and his hair raises when he meets people. And so it's very, that alone, I think, is enough for us to feel more comfortable, like, when we're in the van. Um, Mm -hmm. um, But, yeah, I mean, I just... I try to think positive the whole time as far we don't really carry anything out of the norm. I mean, we've got mace and, you know, we don't, we don't believe in personally don't believe in guns. We don't have a gun. Um, but yeah, it's just, just really feeling, trying to keep positive about the whole thing and just being smart about where we're at. You know, if we don't feel comfortable in an area or, you know, and then we also follow iOverlander. We weren't just like posting up at random spots. You know, we were taking a lot of um, cues from other we people, did research. a lot of research before yeah. we went from other people that have already traveled there so that we knew what we were getting into. Um, you know, and like you said, if we were going to mainland, it might be a little bit different how we prepared, but again, Baja was like, we felt like it's a good easing point to go and, you know, and check it out. So yeah. And there's so many people in the winter traveling there that are in vans and really, you know, everyone they're, they're looking out for tourists. It's actually, they really want Mm -hmm. to make sure that you're safe. We did have a few interactions with the, the local police and they, they all, we're very much looking out for the the interests of the tourists there in Baja yeah. specifically. So it really, was it was safe. It was a really interesting yeah. interaction we had with one police. Actually, they were like, we got to talking because they actually got stuck in the beach sand, and so we were like, after an hour, we're like, all right, let's go give them a shovel or something. So we started talking, and like they were so chill, and they, Abby actually had her pole dance up in the in the beach. We were filming like a video, and so yeah. of course they asked what that was, and she like did a move, and they're like they were like offering to come back with beers the next day. Like it blew my <laughs> mind. I was like, what is going on? Like totally not what we expected. So yeah, mm-hmm. it totally stripped that idea of what we thought it was going to be like. So yeah. You know, I honestly, coming back into the States when we found out about COVID and everything going on, I was probably more worried about that than being where we were in Mexico. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Okay. So you briefly just mentioned this, but um, how did you not get stuck in the sand? You said that you were parked in the sand. Now I'm just curious because I can get stuck (laughs) anywhere. (laughs) Like I, there is this, we're on a private beach. Well, it was like one that's not well known about that we discovered. And there was like one little sliver, like at the very corner of the beach that I felt that I could make. It was hard. We were, we stayed in a hard packed area on that beach and it was a more pebbly beach. So it wasn't too bad, but that's, we're not saying we didn't get stuck in the stand. Oh, we, we definitely got stuck in the sand. Yeah, New, Year, New Year's <laughs> New Year's Eve was a totally different story. But um, yeah, that one happened to work out for us. But the cops, like, they just felt like they were just driving all the way to the shoreline. I don't even know what they were doing. It was very interesting. But <laughs> we had to get out of to get unstuck from the sand. We used our floor mats, like rubber floor mats. Yeah. And oh, yeah. we had some help from people coming by who were just oh, yeah. were happy to help us, pulled us out, help pull us out with their... That truck. is the other thing there is like so many van lifers and RVers are there and it happens all the time, even to locals. So some, like I think on the beach we were staying at for three months, we probably helped like 20 to 30 people get unstuck. Yeah, we paid it for it. <laughs> it just happens constantly there. Yeah. So there's always somebody around most of the time most of the time okay that's good to know i'm like i mean i get i get stuck in anything because i'm always like no you'll be fine you'll totally be fine and then i end up getting stuck and i'm by myself so if i can't like my floor mats and other random things are not working i always end up just calling triple a and i swear to god like by the next time they're just gonna be like okay sydney we get it like we're on our way (laughs) 
we know you. How's it going? Uh, still in the van. Great. Yeah, um, okay. So you also mentioned iOverlander, um, which I hear a lot about. I don't personally use it. Is that I tend to use freecampsites.net. Um, is iOverlander like your go-to overnight parking? Yes. Yeah. So we actually started out using freecampsites.net, which mm-hmm. was good, but we actually find iOverlander to be even more useful because you don't need internet. It doesn't work as well if you don't have cell service, but it, you can still see spots. Um, and there's, it's awesome. There's tons oh, of everywhere, yeah. tons of locations everywhere in Mexico. Tons of locations, and yeah. not only does it give you campsites, it gives you like where you can find water, where you can find propane, like all that kind of stuff. Okay, yeah, and you're yeah. you're talking specifically about the app, right? Yes. Okay. Because the website is trash. Oh, we don't. <laughs> I, I we don't. Hate. We don't know anything about the website. Yeah, the app is is super user friendly. I mean, I mean, ninety nine percent of the time we're traveling, like it, it's worked out for us. We haven't had any issues. Mm-hmm. Like it's yeah, we love it. I mean, we recommend it to anybody for sure. Yeah. Okay, so you typically it sounds like you do the same thing as me, where you camp for free. Like you're looking for anywhere oh, yeah. that you can just. Yeah. Yeah, we don't like. Have you ever paid for a campsite? Campgrounds, RV parks. No, yeah, that's not what we're doing. I don't either. We've paid three for three campsites in a year and six months. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. People always ask like why I don't stay at campgrounds, and I'm like, there's literally a plethora of reasons why I would not do that. Aside from just the money, I don't need to spend thirty dollars to sleep. But like, they also every time I drive, typically, especially like the place I'm in right now, I am less than a half a mile away from a campground. Where I guess the only reason then is hookups. Like I understand that, but they are so on top of each other. And I'm just like, how do you even have dogs? Like, how do you, are they just on, they're just leashed 100% of the time, which like no shade to anybody who's leashing their dogs, but like, it's, it's so different. It's so fun seeing your dogs not having to be leashed all the time. And then to just be parked, your neighbors are like, you know, hand, a handshake away. And I'm just, no, no, like that is not, Abby knows. it's so weird to me. Abby listens to me go on and on about it. I just, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's like the antichrist of traveling. I just don't understand why you would take the time. And I'm not talking, I mean, if, okay, older people that, you know, that buy a huge RV and they need the hookups and that's like the lifestyle. But if you're traveling and yeah, I don't want to be on top of someone. In fact, most of the time, you know, we like to be out in our own space. So we don't, that, that, that like stresses me out to even think about, you know, and then we made our van to be off grid for that purpose, to be able to be out in all these beautiful places. And like you said, you're next to a campsite and you are not paying for it and you still get these amazing views. You know, there's definitely so many ways to get around that lump of cash that you would be putting in to this lifestyle that we absolutely made sure that that was not going to be part of it. Because to us, that's like paying rent again, you know? And so... Right. Especially if you have a car payment and then you're also paying for a campsite every single night. There's a, I've met a few people who they've entered van life by themselves. And so they're nervous and they just, they feel very intimidated by the idea of BLM and any type of public land. And so I've talked to them. And, like, I'll say things like free campsites or I overlander, and they're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, where are you sleeping? Yeah. And I've, they're like, yeah, I just absolutely. find campgrounds. And I'm like, how much are you paying? They're like, well, between 20 and $60, depending on if you're near a national park even, you're paying 50 or 60 bucks. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I, I just can't – I wouldn't be on the road anymore if I had to pay for that. Like, no, I don't no. even know. There's no way. Yeah. Uh-uh. <laughs> Okay, so going along with the topic of dogs, I was just saying, so my dog's obsessed with the freedom. I was 
not not lucky because she was a puppy and psychotic um ella but because she was so young it was very easy for me to like train her to be a van dog and pearl is my other dog and she's an eight-year-old chihuahua who just requires minimal everything um so i feel like she was also pretty chill like she just follows me she doesn't really need to be on a leash and she stays in bed most of the time anyways um how did you find it to like transition your dogs? That's another thing that I just get asked from people is yeah. having to transition dogs that would require more than like Pearl. And she's my only experience doing so. So what would you kind of tell people like what your experience was like and what you would recommend for them, I guess? Yeah. Well, um, let's my dog or our dog, the little one, Peluche, the Pomeranian, he's super chill. I mean, he loves to go on walks and whatnot, but he, he adapted really easily I would say the first two months, it took them to get used to it, um, to really understand that the van was their home, but they absolutely love it. Yeah, my dog Bear, he's he's um, older. He just turned 13, um, but he does, he acts like he's two years old, which I'm very grateful for. He's still got so much life, and he's he loves hiking. He was the one that probably took a little bit more to acclimate. You know, I got him when he was two, so he was a rescue dog, and Abby was able to train Pelu J from from the start. So he's good off leash. He will follow her everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a challenge for me because with him being a rescue and me working all the time when I was single, he was home a lot by himself, unfortunately. And when I met Abby and he finally realized he had like a family unit, he became very protective of Luce and just, you know, very, very excited about that. And so he became protective of us as a whole. So taking him out, um, for me was like re kind of training him to be around a lot of animals in a lot of different climates, Mm -hmm. especially the fact that he was older, he has a little bit more trouble with switching climates so much. So, you know, making sure they're, we, you know, we're feeding them crockpot food and making sure that, you know, I give him CBD, which actually helps his joints because he's got a couple of problems. I'm also always massaging his legs after hikes. But as far as like acclimating, he slept in the front of the van um, for probably two months. He would not go into the house part of the van uh, because he also likes to be right next to me constantly. So that, but that was interesting. It was really cute to see how that transitioned and like slowly I would watch him like be on the couch and then now he's just sleeping, snoring on the bed, you know, like he, he doesn't care anymore and he likes small spaces and as long as he's with us and always with me like he he absolutely loves it i mean i think he prefers it because it's almost like it's a huge doghouse like he doesn't you know right and um and now it's more like when we're at a camp and we're out and we have to leave after we've been there several days it's actually harder to get them to come in the van because they're just like so sprawled out in their landscape and they're like oh are we really leaving again but as soon as they're there there's so much they're super excited again to like do the sightseeing from yeah. the windows and then go into a new spot. So they've been great. Honestly, they've been amazing on the road. Mm-hmm. I'm very thankful for that because I didn't know how it would be for Bear so much. But yeah, yeah, he loves it. Yeah, you worried a bit about about Bear, but yeah. adapting. But yeah, are they are they both good while you drive, like on driving days? Oh yeah, they sleep. Luce likes to sit on the pillow on the bed and he stares out at the window. Like he loves to look. Bear could care less about the sights. He is just sleeping, sleeping. the whole time. Uh, but yeah, they do great. They love it now. It's we're very fortunate that that was how it was going to go because I didn't, I wasn't sure. But yeah, yeah. no, they're doing great. No, they're doing great. Yeah, have you had to train them at all? I'm just curious for like wildlife scenarios. Not necessarily train them, but do you take like I just bought bear spray for the first time, and so now I'm just every time I walk them because I'm in Montana where it's like. I mean, it's bear oh, yeah. central right now. Yeah, um, and I mean, there's signs everywhere, and so now I'm just 
much more on guard, I guess, than I have been in the past. Like, typically they're off leash. Ella's just bounding through the fields and stuff. And now, I don't know, I'm a little bit more paranoid. Do you guys have any, do you guys ever have to take precautions like that? Or have you kind of gone to places Um, where that might not have been necessary? Sometimes we do. If we are in bear country, we'll put bear on a leash because he doesn't, he'll listen to us, but he can be a little stubborn. And, and just ignore the fact that we're calling him. He's so a, sometimes yeah. we do have to put him on a leash as a precaution. He's a little set in his ways, so I honestly fear that he would try and go after a bear or a moose or anything just at first because he just yeah. literally is so excited and doesn't know. Um, Luce looks like a fox, so we get worried yeah. about that for sure. Um, if but he comes when we call him. Yeah, if we're out in an area, especially if it's dark, he's not out there at all, like, if we're not around him. But, yeah, mm-hmm. um, we'll have, like, a lead or something like that if we're in more, you know, in, in spaces like that where we feel a little more worried about it. I carry two bear sprays. That's also my worry side coming in, so... Um, yeah, it's actually funny though, because since bear is named bear, we're in these spaces and I'm trying to call him and screaming out bear. We've had people like freak out and I'm like, Oh, it's just my dog. I'm sorry. Oh my my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. It's pretty funny. (laughs) That's so funny. funny. Yeah. I think, (laughs) I think Ella would do the same thing. I think Pearl would shit her pants, but I think that Ella would like literally just want to just start barking at it and run straight into the bear. Like, I think she would just go right up into it to see like what it is, what's going on. Who are you? And yeah, that's what like makes me the no- the most paranoid because Pearl, like I said, stays at my heels. Ella's the one that runs off. And so she turns a corner and I can't see her. I'm like, if there's a bear there, I mean, she's going to be gone by the time I can even turn the corner. Like it's, <laughs> yeah, it's just, it's like a new thought process for me. Cause like I said, I haven't, I haven't really been to these areas during bear time. Like I've only been here during kind of the winter times. Um, but yeah. Okay. Moving along a little bit. Um, whether it's dog related or not, has there been anything in the year and a half that you've been on the road that has surprised you in a good way that you did not think about before actually moving into the van? Like everybody knows that van life comes with a lot of freedom and that type of thing. Is that my dog? Someone's whining. Um, it's probably Ella. Um, but is there anything that has surprised you in a good way where you now realize you've gained something that you did not anticipate? Oh, that's a hard one. Maybe, I mean, remember in the beginning we did have to have some mechanical repairs and it was surprising like how difficult it was sometimes to find a mechanic, you know, as you're traveling around. Everybody, obviously, if you're living in one place, you get to know that area. Um, And when you're traveling around, it can be a little tricky, especially when you have a difficult vehicle, like an old Sprinter van. That's, yeah, the 2004, because they don't like, the parts are hard to find or, you know, they don't have the lift for that at a lot of the places we go, especially if it's a small town. So um, we were actually in Banff when we had an issue and we were at Lake Moraine and I couldn't start the vehicle and like finally got it to get fixed. But I had to basically, once it was on, we had to drive two hours to Calgary and get it looked at because mm-hmm. I was like freaking out about it and there was nowhere in the area. Um, but yeah, I would say, I would say, yeah, I think with the vehicle we have, it's a little bit harder, I think, than some people with like Ford Transits mm-hmm. and stuff like that. When we didn't know that because we didn't actually set out to find a Sprinter van, it just happened to be the van we found. So we we were unaware. Yeah, we didn't sure. really we didn't set out for it. So doing research came later. I would say surprising for me would go back to me being so kind of like reserved and like you know skeptical about so many things as being a woman on the road. Um, but I've really surprised myself at all that I've been able to do and, and get over as far as like 
just where we're going to park or not knowing like, you know, those things or feeling comfortable in an area. Um, I, I realized how much more of a badass I am than I thought I was. And so, um, yeah, that's yeah. been huge. So I've really like taken that to heart and learned a lot from myself. And especially with someone that has a lot of anxiety like I do, um, you know, it really helped me just learn that I need to, you know, not try. I'm not trying to grow out of it. I'm trying to grow into my anxiety. And I realize that that's just part of my life. And it actually makes me a stronger person to be able to to understand that that is just comes with me. And I think I think that's pretty cool. I'm, you know, I feel definitely like as far as safety, like I am my own weapon because I've been able to like sit with myself and in, in my skin and be comfortable with like traveling and all the things that come with it um, and the unknown. And I've been able to embrace that. So I think that that surprised me a lot. Yeah. Do you think um, that the restaurant industry had anything to do with increasing your overall anxiety as a person and kind of beat down your confidence in a way because like that was my experience like I feel like I entered and like I said that's very much mine so I'm not saying it's probably not that way for everyone but like being in such a harsh environment like my that's how my restaurant was um and there was a lot of harsh language that often happens and then there's always alcohol involved whether it's really day or night and so yes it was it was always during yeah and so i mean you're just trying to make it through a 12-hour shift you know what i mean and so especially what you also have a free bar just sitting across the restaurant so it's like why not throw one back before this next part you know um but i feel like my experience there just heightened my anxiety and since being on the road the last couple years i have like slowly i mean it will i'm just an anxious person so it's always going to be there but like i can feel it loosening and loosening and loosening as time goes like on away from that type of environment like i'm unwinding as the time goes by have you felt like that was your experience at all oh my god yeah i've been in food and bed for 12 years and working in kitchens i'm 34 years old now and being a line cook i mean really it's like being at the top of your game in as an athlete, you know, around your thirties, you don't, you shouldn't be on the line doing that. I was getting carpal tunnel in my wrists. Um, I was getting, you know, I started going to see a chiro- not a chiropractor, but getting um, acupuncture done because I was having um, like neck pains constantly and trouble breathing. Yeah. So it definitely heightened my anxiety. Um, also just trying to always appease my chef at the time, if I wasn't running a kitchen, you know, that's a constant game. You have people that are working with you or for you that don't really want to be there a lot of the time. And I'm not saying about about every job. I've had jobs that, you know, front end, back of house was very cohesive and the camaraderie was amazing. But I've equally had the worst situations. And I mean, chef yelling at me in the middle of a dining room, um, you know, yeah, it kind of built up for so long for me. Um, the one thing I can say is that when I left my last job before we got into van life, I basically gave them an ultimatum. I said, I want to make this much money or I'm walking. And I got that salary. And that was very, very um, powerful for me. And I felt like that was a height in my career that was important for me to be able to get into van life and start stripping away that anxiety. Um, but but yeah, I mean, it's it definitely was a hindrance, but it also allowed me to sit with those really high anxiety points and realize I could get through it. So it was, um, you know, it was a blessing and a curse for sure. (laughs) Yeah, that's, it's just so, it's so interesting talking to someone else. I don't think I have yet anybody who was in the restaurant. I mean, I I was only in it for three years total, but the first year was as a part-time hostess. So I was catching like a glimpse of what it was actually like. And then it wasn't until I was in management where I was so intertwined with everything. And I realized I I, like, I was working with people who were in their mid thirties. And I was like, at the time 21 or 22. And I was like, I'm not doing that in a decade. I literally can't like, I will have unraveled as a human being. Um, 
So it is interesting to hear someone who's made the same transition. And my boyfriend, my ex-boyfriend now, but he, I lived with him in the van for the first year and he was like you, he had worked um, in the back of house for, I mean, since he was like 14. So for, you know, over a decade, it was his first job. Um, uh, And so I kind of saw also his transition and what that, because yeah, like you just have such a, I don't mean to keep talking about this, but he, such a, uh, a hierarchy, which is not a bad thing. It's respect. Um, and so just yeah. answering to someone every call, yes, chef, yes, chef, yes, chef. Like yes. it's just how it's so ingrained in you to like speak to your superiors in this way and have that type of mindset that then you move into a van and you're like, I don't answer to, to anyone. Like it's a little, uh, almost confusing at first. Like I just remember being in our van and we're like, okay, what, what do we do? Like, what, what do we do now? It's just kind of a, yeah, absolutely. There has to be that divide and like, yeah, the hierarchy within work and like your relationship and being in a different situation. Um, yeah, it was, and, and I absolutely, it's nice to be able to talk to somebody else that's been through this actually, because it actually helps me. Um, you know, cause I really didn't, I kind of let it all go when we, you know, literally as we drove off from Charleston, I was like, I'm done. I didn't think about that job again in that way. Um, but it's actually good to be able to like, you know, really bring it back up and realize how far I've come from that for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I really attribute that, like my experience in the restaurant industry to pushing me into van life because that, like I said, I saw it and I was like, no, I'm not doing this forever. And so I came across van life and I was like, okay, yeah, like I might, it's either now or never. I felt like, like I'm either getting out and because they had offered me salary. And I mean, I grew up in Indiana making $7 an hour at a car wash. And so then they tell a 21 year old, she's going to be put on salary. And I was like, oh my God, like I made it. And my parents were like, Sydney, you're miserable. You're pale, you're gaining weight, which is not a bad thing, but like you're doing it because you're being unhealthy and you're drinking and all of this stuff. And they were like, please consider whether or not that salary is worth the sacrifice. And after a while, I was like, yeah, you're right. It's couldn't be further from the truth. Um, Going along with income, though, and just money in general, how have you guys managed to make a remote income? I'm sure like most people, there's always been like kind of a variety of ways. I always say van lifers are like the best hustlers I've ever met in my life. Um, and so, well, yeah, what have you guys done in the last year and a half to fuel everything that you've done? Um, well, before Abby starts, cause this is definitely more her situation to talk about, but we, in that year and a half that we were building, we made a point to save for that year on the road so we could be on the road for a year without working. So we saved a lot of money just so that we weren't going to be worrying about that right away. We really wanted to be able to delve into the travel part and not worry about how we were going to maintain. Um, so we are actually now just starting to get, you know, the sa- savings are depleting. And with COVID now being a thing, we're definitely finding alternate ways. But I mean, Abby's definitely been the one more yeah. holding us holding us together in that way. Yeah, I, I'd say we're major majority we're living off of our savings but that said we are trying to work our way into being full-time digital nomads and i so there's a couple a couple ways i do stock photography so i take a lot of photos of our travels and i put that onto various stock photography websites and i make a little money every month from that Um, i also have a patreon account for my fine art photography. I do like artsy nudes, that kind of thing. So don't be embarrassed. Artsy those. nudes. Yeah. She's taking nudes. They're, I see them on your Instagram. They're beautiful. <laughs> yeah. So I, ha- I have a Patreon account where I post, yes, art nude photos. And so that's another um, income that's coming in every month. Um, let's see what else. 
What uh, is your uh, Patreon URL if somebody wants to, to join? Yes, it's um, Abigail's Artful Nudes. Abigail's Artful Nudes. Okay. Mm-hmm. I will leave everything linked in the description box for everyone listening. Um, you can find it there, but I'm guessing that's patreon.com slash. Yep. www.patreon.com slash Abigail's Artful Nudes. And I also have another Patreon account for a different project that I do called Empowerment Via the Lens. And that is um, a project that features, I mean, women, anybody, or non-binary people um, that I'll take photos of people we meet along our journey. And it's it's an empowerment project, but people can support it via Patreon as well. Um, Yeah, we have a lot of little hustles. Yeah, just little things. We're actually heading back to the East Coast to be home for a while um, to do just that. She has a huge client base with photography there, so and she's already lined up on some things. I'm going to do some personal chef work, um, especially with COVID. It's nice that I can do that. I will be like doing uh, dinner series and things like that, so I don't have to try and delve back into food and bev, um, which mm-hmm. is which is awesome. So yeah, we're going to go work for a few months, do some renovations on mm-hmm. the van, and then you know we we take chunks of time to do that, and then. That way we can take off again for quite a while. Um, So last October, she flew back to our hometown and shot a wedding and did some other things in like 10 days. And I trimmed for some friends in California um, and we were able to maintain for another like six, seven months that way. So and then we also have a YouTube channel and we just recently monetize that Yay. making little dollars so, off of that. <laughs> very little dollars right now but hopefully maybe in the future that will be uh, a little more yeah something it, <laughs> later on it will be slow yeah. creep it takes it really i've seen it happen with so many people and i forever talk about doing youtube but like it really takes one video to go like you know find the masses and then they it just attracts them to all of your past videos all your future videos so like it really is just about continuously getting videos out there that was actually where i was going to bring up youtube next uh what is the name of your channel so it's the same as our instagram it's let's play ride and seek and yeah we do weekly sunday videos um just about our travels we try to do some tutorials and you know tips and tricks and like that um i recently just started doing a wednesday every wednesday i'm doing a cooking vlog within that channel um that's a way for me to be able to like do more with my cooking as i was trying to figure out what i wanted to do on the road you know a lot of it was like well how am i going to figure out how to be a private chef on the road or am i going to stop at different places and try and work in a you know, in a food and bev. And I was like, no, I really don't want to do that. So this is a way for me to like put my recipes out there and slowly figure out how to make money that way. Um, So yeah, it's been a lot of fun. We're actually putting out a video next week on how not to start a YouTube channel. Because we did it all wrong. And so (laughs) it's going to be all the ways that, because we thought it would be, you know, we try to be as real as possible. We wanted to be upfront about how we started our YouTube and where we went wrong. And, you know, we've been on now a year. And so I thought that would be great for other people because we know other people that are starting out and get pretty discouraged. So we're um, that'll be out next week. So you can hear all the ways that we are trying to bounce back from that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is that was something else. I, so I talked to Dylan McAster for a whole episode and we really talked a lot about YouTube because I love that episode, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, I find him fascinating. I was like, I I don't get care at all. I typically do just happen to have people on that live in vans, um, just because that's like my circle of people. Um, But he reached out to me about it. And I was like, Oh, my God, I have to have you on. And then the whole conversation, I was like, I'm obsessed with you. Like, he's just one of those people that you could have a beer and sit around a campfire. And it's like 3am. All of a sudden, you've been talking to him for like nine hours. (laughs) Like he just has so much like he's been everywhere. He's done everything. 
Um, but he talked a lot about the realities of YouTube and the fact that it's an extraordinarily difficult project and that you have to dabble in, like, he did multiple different things, I guess is what I'm trying to say, before he found the one that, like, the audience responded to. He he really liked doing it and whatever. Um, I don't want to take away from the video that you're going to be doing because I want everybody to go watch that. But what was maybe, like, maybe the biggest thing that you struggle with still now to do, like, with doing YouTube videos. I mean, for me, it's the daunting video editing that I just don't want to do, because uh, I know it's going to take so much time. So, like, what what for you is, like, I guess the most difficult part? Well, Abby definitely takes on the editing. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, we shoot together and, you know, come up with concept, and I will kind of, you know, I like to say I like to manage the video afterwards and help tweak the video, <laughs> uh, which we work really well on. Um, so for her, I, it's a lot of work, but I think yeah. at this point, it's just trying to play catch up with the algorithm that is YouTube and trying to, you know, because once you've started, and if you haven't really, you didn't start with knowing all those ways of how to put the videos out, um, as far as logistics go, then you really have to try and, you know, play, play every way you can yeah. to try so and make that YouTube make up for it. definitely favors the people who, who do have that viral video and then they have tons of people who who watch and then they promote those videos as is most yes yeah, so if media. your videos are constant if you're not getting a lot of views they're not going to get promoted and week after week after week that's that's what you're going to see is not a whole lot of you know views or anything so it, it can be really discouraging for sure and people need to know that it's so much work yes it's eight to twelve hours of editing a single video for sure longer if you don't know how to edit like luckily i did have <laughs> luckily as a photographer like learning how to edit videos like it didn't probably didn't take me as long as it might somebody who has no experience so that's a plus but beyond i love the making of the videos the editing that's great but what i'd hate is the the analytic stuff like you have to tag everything right and you have to do all that like it's it's frustrating because that's not really why we got into it yeah, we got into it for the fun, not the. Well, in the video, we talk about how, you know, because of COVID, that's kind of what pushed us to stick with it even more so and try to take it that route where we can monetize and can start to make a little bit of money here and there. But it took us a long time to realize that we wanted to stick with it. You know, we, we were on a roller coaster of just like, how much of this do we want to put our life out there? You know, if, you know, you put a lot of work into it and then wanting to get views. And so it was a lot of going back and forth. But we're at the point now where we just we really do just enjoy filming our life. And so, you know, yeah. And, and we love the way we go about it. We really try to just be ourselves and be funny about it, like very tongue in cheek and very like, you know, whatever, so that it helps us feel better about when we put out our videos. So now like we love watching our own videos. So I think that's the most important. If you feel like you can edit and put out a video that you would actually watch and really want to show people, then that's important, you know, to be able to feel like you can stick with something like that. Cause it is, it's a whole nother beast. Yeah. I mean, it looks like that as you were talking about, um, you're like cooking now on Wednesdays. Um, have you guys thought about doing like a, any sort of cookbook where like you do all the cooking and you could be like photograph it? Oh my god, yeah. We've we've had so many we have like a list of We have a list of I of ideas of things we want to do. Oh my god, yeah. We, we were gonna just like, like we had another idea. We like literally had an idea. Why don't we just make a book of all the ways we wanted to make, make money? Make money. <laughs> like we have so many ridiculous ideas. Um 
Yeah, we would love to do a cookbook. My thing with that, my Achilles heel is writing down my recipes. So growing up watching my grandmother cook, she was never wrote anything down, um, which I till this day is really disheartening for me. She's passed and I don't have any of those uh, recipes, but I kind of follow suit that I just, I kind of cook as I go. And being in the van, it's been an artful way for me to just like create as I'm making the food. So it's been a lot for me to hone in on trying to make an actual recipe and make it to where it's more user-friendly for the person that's watching. So once I get, I mean, if I can really get down with writing recipes, then I will absolutely do that. Um, The videos are forcing her to write recipes. So who knows? There could be a book in our future if this keeps up. I'm trying to ease my way into it, yeah. But we also have talked about doing um, a collab book, just me and her, with her photography and my poetry. I like to write a lot. So um, we're trying to compile some stuff like that. Like, you know, like... um, coffee table books and things. So yeah, tons of ideas. We need to just really sit down and decide what all we can throw ourselves into and have time for. But it's a, it's a lot. It would, a book on top of like making two videos every week and like trying to also like keep up with our adventures and like. But I could, uh, yeah, I think I can yeah. compile all the recipes that I'm putting on these videos. And then, yeah, I think eventually we will be able to compile it into a book. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. even what you mentioned about your grandmother, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is that you could kind of make a cookbook in not like dedication or tribute to her. Um, but also, if, you know, you have anyone in your life that may want your recipes, and you said, you know, it's it's sad that you that you don't really have those from her, like, I'm sure people will would love to have yours. And the reason I even bring any of it up is because I, I'm vegan as well. And so to see somebody make jambalaya, I was like, okay, I understand how to make overnight oats at this point. I would like something a little heartier. Like I would like a good meal every now and again. You know what I mean? Like I just see so much of the same thing, which is pretty, but like, I I want a good meal. Um, And just because you are an amazing photographer, I just think that that, it would just be like a, a cool thing to see, but obviously I think your poetry and the photography, like all of that sounds like good ideas. It's, it took me, I started my blog at the beginning of van life and, but it was really just like kind of for fun. And then it started turning into an income. And then I started kind of not doing my website as much anymore and like dabbling into a hundred different things as well. And most people I talk to on the road have the same type of story where it's like, well, I want to do this, 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 and this. And like, you have so much freedom that you can have a hundred ideas, but then it's hard to like execute on any of them because you have so many of them. Um, And I think, yeah, yeah, absolutely. we all tend to run into that type of issue. Um, also, I wanted to mention, you guys are vegan and you post about food. So I get asked all the time, Sydney, you're vegan. Like, what are you making on the meal? I do, I'm do. i not a good cook. I need recipes. So uh, if anybody listening is vegan and wants or is not vegan and you're just like, you're willing to try vegan food, um, just follow them and watch their videos and, and go to them for that topic because I am not your girl. I grew up on like DiGiorno's Pizzas, Dairy Queen, Taco Bell. Like I, I was not. So did I. I did so did I. That's funny. Yeah. I actually grew up eating meat and like I, you know, for yeah, 27 years I ate meat. And as a chef, I was fabricating meat and working, you know, doing meat cookery. So um, it was a transition for me pretty, you know, like five years ago when I met Abby, who had been vegetarian for, you know, a long time. Mm-hmm. And she actually got me into it, which I'm very fortunate for because, um, you know, I have a lot of diabetes that run through my family. You know, I actually was, you know, I definitely gained that freshman 15 when I was in college. And then being in food and bev and drinking the way I was like I was starting to lead an unhealthy lifestyle. And so she really shifted me to wanting to cook. Um, yeah, more you know, plant-based. I, I should add that we are plant-based. We do every now and then eat some dairy if it's local. 
Um, but most of the time we are vegan and I try to make every recipe that I put out there have a vegan option. Um, so definitely that's out there. But um, but yeah, it was really her that transitioned me into being able to do that. And because I had spent so much time doing meat cookery and growing up Puerto Rican with a lot of bold flavors, that's kind of my my thing now is to take vegan food and make it taste not boring. Like, you know, be able to take those like even heavy meat foods and transition it into vegan. So mm-hmm. you'll, there'll be some pretty exciting things that I'm planning on, yeah, you'll on s- transitioning. You'll into. definitely see a lot of that on our channel, like vegan food that maybe isn't isn't typical like yeah. o- like overnight oats overnight like, oats are awesome yeah. but like we're gonna we're gonna up your game a little bit yeah that's, <laughs> i would love that because i'm not the type of person my ex that was a chef could he just knew if, even if he'd never had it like this would go great with this and this would go and then you taste it and i'm just like that's amazing okay. but like yeah i would never know that i would literally I, I eat ranch dipped with this you know what i mean like i grew up in the midwest well, that's all i know so i need <laughs> i need recipes to tell me exactly what to do and walk me through it well, you inspired me. I'm definitely going to make a buffalo chicken sandwich that's not Morningstar for you, and that's vegan, that you can make. I would live. <laughs> Please, don't just make it. You have to sell it. Sell the recipe. I... I'm going to move right, doing a cookbook. I would I would buy it just for the buffalo chicken sandwich. Katie, my friend, she called me yesterday, and she was like, I, she was like, what are you doing? I was like, eating lunch. She goes, is it a buffalo chicken sandwich? And I was like, no, you bitch. <laughs> like, for, for once, it's not that. Yeah, I don't, I do not like anything frozen really regardless of what it is so i don't every every time i eat one of those i'm like this is not probably the healthiest thing in the world but it is delicious so i'm gonna do it so yeah Absolutely. i'm for i'm very much for that idea okay so okay so uh, moving a little bit along but on the topic of money still in terms of like where you can cut costs while on the road a lot of people tend to think that van life is this super expensive lifestyle and they need to figure out how to make an abundance of money on the road when in reality other than like your core bills that you might be paying that are going to be different per person and you know depending on your life um you can really i i mean i i hate using the word hack but like you can really cut so many corners and like use these different hacks to like save so much money um i will buy dog food my food and maybe fill my tank and then go to a campsite and stay there for a week to 10 days. And and literally because I'm not moving, I'm not spending a single dollar, like not $1 until the next time I go have one of those days. So a, is that something that you guys do as well? And B, uh, is there anything else that you think you have kind of figured out the system to save more money versus, you know, just kind of splurging? Yeah, yeah, well, free campsites first, absolutely. Not paying rent or putting any money into campsites is huge because we're constantly needing to find somewhere to stay. Mm-hmm. We also don't generally pay for water. There's lots of free yeah. water fill-ups. Um, so we, we go towards that. Um, and we do operate similar to you. Like, we'll, we'll go grocery shopping once a week. I mean, during COVID, it was every other week. Um, uh-huh. We stocked up and then, yeah, we didn't spend any money. Yeah, you really don't need a lot to live off of. That's really one of the things we love the most about van life is it's such an affordable way to live. Yeah, I mean, we don't buy anything either. Like, you know, I think the biggest splurge for us is definitely when it was a thing (laughs) is going to breweries. And obviously, I love to eat. We love to eat good food. So when we're in cities, that was like our biggest uh, our biggest splurge. But even then, it was like we would pick a night, like one night that we would go out and have something that we absolutely need to have. But otherwise, we're buying mostly vegetables. You know, I'm making everything. I try to make as much from scratch. 
uh, before everyone bought flour and was making bread again. I was doing tortillas by hand <laughs> and things like that. So I'm not buying, all, you know, not only not buying packaged things with, you know, that are in plastic, but also things that I could make that would be a lot cheaper to make um, as far as food goes. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just little things like that. Um, and the fact that we wear the same clothes, you know, we, we yeah. hand wash a lot of our stuff when it's when it's possible. Um, yeah, I mean, any scraps, any veg scraps we have, you know, I'll make veg stock or we will compost or we'll also, um, you know, put in the dog's food, um, any fresh vegetable scraps so that we're not wasting anything. Um, but yeah, and then we just really don't buy anything. We're using all the same clothes, all the clothes that we have until they are like shredded, not maybe not shredded, but till <laughs> we've really used everything is, you know, as much as we can. Um, and I, you know, I didn't grow up with a lot. And so I think I carry that mentality going into this. I've always kind of been a minimalist. And so it's really helped me not buy random knickknacks or things like that, you know, um, or also if there's anything we do need as far as that goes, unless it's something vital like hiking boots or a good sports bra, like we will go thrifting, we will find all the, you know, the, um, the cheaper ways to do things like that. So, so yeah, be not buying a lot of material goods and making our food last a really long time and especially the water i think a lot of people don't realize um we love going to national parks so you when you know that's available they op- they absolutely have potable water and state parks as well um and then yeah there's several phillips we found especially out in the west that you can also an eye overlander where you can find uh mm-hmm. fresh drinking water so that's been huge for us yeah that's good i didn't even know that myself that you could just get fresh drinking water i need to get on i overlander it sounds like you guys are kind of convincing me <laughs> we really like it <laughs> yes yes i think uh something i just have not touched on is avoiding cities is really probably my number one way of saving money like when i was in san Diego, oh. this was pre-covid probably like february i it just naturally it wasn't super warm outside yet and so i could leave the dogs in my van for a few hours and i would go into this coffee shop every single day revolution and i like discovered the iced oat milk latte and i was like pounding (laughs) two or three of them a day like didn't need that much espresso first of all second of all each one was easily $5 and it asked, it was like an iPad. It asks you to tip. And I'm like, okay, even on my third one, I don't want to be an asshole and like not be tipping. tipping. Yes. Oh, I yeah. When you're, when you've been in F and B. Yeah, tip. absolutely. Especially you if you're in everywhere. F&B. Exactly. So like I'm spending $7 per latte. And I mean, it's three weeks later where I'm like starting to finally rack up the money. And I'm just like, Jesus, I'm spending over $20 a day on lattes. Like, who do I think I am? (laughs) It ain't that. Yeah. And so, but it's when you're in a city, it's so tempting to go try this coffee shop, that brewery, go to this winery, try this. A vegan barbecue. When do I get vegan barbecue? I'm just going to go spend 50 bucks. You always make an excuse as to why it's important to go try it. Yeah. Portland was really hard for us because there's so much good vegan food there. We spent, we stayed a week and we spent way too much money. We spent all the money. Yeah. Yeah, Avoid cities to save money. (laughs) Yeah. It's the human condition. That's, you know, and that's part of the travels. We try to like convince ourselves, like we deserve this as well when we go to cities. But, you know, as time has gone on, like we try to go to happy hour if we're going to do that. Or, you know, if we go to the grocery store, we buy boxed wine. We don't buy like the nice bottle wines or, you know, like, you know, absolutely so just little ways when we are in a city to cut the cost any way we can then we do and at this point we really limit how often that we even allow ourselves to do that so covid's actually helped with that Um, (laughs) can't go out (laughs) so avoid cities yeah saving us money try to find the positive in that (laughs) yeah um okay so along with cities though that is where i have always found the most community like san diego has always been the place where i gravitate towards when i feel like I need to make some new friends. I want to talk to people. I want to be able to 
swing open my sliding door and be, you know, door to door with other vans and stuff. Um, and I have talked a lot with friends of mine and random people who are really just starting into van life and they are having a really hard time um, finding the community. I got lucky because like the week after I moved into my van, there was a big gathering. And so I kind of made that one of my first stops and I ended up meeting a few really good friends that I have to this day. Um, and I do feel like it trickles, like you meet two really good van friends and then like they know other people and then those other know other people. So you kind of like network it that way. Um, but how, how has your been experience, I guess, with the community um, and connecting with them? Like, have you struggled to, co- to find community or have you found it to be fairly easy for yourselves? And then also, what advice would you give to new people entering van life, um, especially when you are alone? Like, I think it's important for couples to obviously meet people as well, but it's it can be really intimidating by yourself right off the bat to just feel super lonely. And like, you're the only, especially I was coming out of the Midwest. And so I didn't like, I didn't know anybody living in vans. Um, And so I just wanted immediately to find someone who understood what I was doing and didn't think I was crazy. Um, So yeah, what advice would you give and what has your experience been with that? Yeah, well, we starting out in the Southeast definitely made it a little harder because we have definitely found that the West Coast is a little bit more open to, you know, the van life community in general as far as parking and things like that. So that was a little hard at first. I would say it took us we did meet one um, one chick right off the bat. She had been solo for three years, so it was really cool hearing her story. Um, and we spent three days with her, but we hadn't really known, like, what that was like, you know. And I think she finally came outside, and we were mm-hmm. like, hey, you know. But it wasn't until we started going west that we had more experience with meeting people. Yeah. Um, and then going to Baja. Again, Baja was probably our most, um, you know, our most um, invested time with a totally different types of people. Right. And, you know, we, we ran into like van life meetups that we didn't even know about on the beaches. Um, and we made some really good friends there for sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like lifetime friends. Um, I You know, half the reason we didn't leave is because I did some I did some pop up restaurants on the beach with this couple that just happened to park too close to us. And I was actually very frustrated about it. We were like, what kind of camping etiquette is that? Why are you parked like that? And they ended up becoming the most amazing people and spent so much time. So I think my personal advice being more introverted, I mean, I find that, you know, I'll tell Abby sometimes, like, I'm just really not in the mood. Like, you know, I really want to find somewhere that we're on our own because I need that space. Um, But the times that I've allowed myself to, you know, really open the door and be more open to the idea of meeting somebody, even if they're not approaching us first, is when we've met the most amazing people and have had those experiences. So, you know, if you're solo, definitely allow yourself if you feel safe in a space to be the, you know, be the first person to make, you know, to extend yourself out to mm-hmm. people. And um, you'd be surprised what you'd find or how many people also want that back. Um, and then also social media, I would say. Yeah, I'd say to anybody who's who maybe just starting van life or they're interested in it and they want to make friends, you know, social media is such a great way to connect with people, perhaps before you meet them in person. Um, we, we actually started a a social media account to create community, um, for the LGBTQ community living in van life, because it was, we found it, you don't just happen upon other queer couples, like out just on the road, like you kind of have to search them out. So we created, um, an Instagram account called van life ride, where you can connect with, um, you know, people in that community specifically that will understand not only what it's like living in a van, but also what it's like just being a queer person well, in general. Yeah, and feeling yeah. like you can be visible. You know, that was a lot of our other issue is not really seeing 
you know, we're an interracial couple, lesbian couple, and not seeing, you know, people of color or LGBTQ community kind of out there. Um, and then when we put that page out there, it was unreal how many people and how much feedback we got. Just like, thank yeah. you for feeling, you know, because it's a little bit harder, I feel, for them to want to put themselves out there and feel safe. So, it, you know, that's been huge for us. Like, we're very... We're very, you know, and then we've made bonds with people that we clearly haven't met yet um, because, you know, we want to do a Van Life Pride meetup, but with COVID, it'll take longer. But just the people we've met online and, you know, have kept up with have become really good friends that we can't wait to actually meet in person. So, yeah. Yeah, that's so interesting because, you know, we hear so often in every community, just like everything's been done. Like people don't want to do this because everything has been done. And it wasn't until. Like, I think a lot of people saw the page that you guys made, Van Life Pride, where it was like, oh, like there there literally isn't a space for this, like, large group of people who do need more visibility and, like, safety just, you know, making friends within their own community. Um, and, yeah, I think it's, it's just interesting. Once that's created, it, like, kind of... Sh- shines a little bit light to everybody of like, okay, wait, what else isn't being done? What else does not have, you know, some like, yeah, just like I was saying, you think it's been done until it is done. And then you're like, shit, that like literally wasn't done yet. Like nobody had created that space. So I think it's, it is very cool. And it's important that you guys took the time and have kind of made it part of your mission to do that. Um, I'm sure that's highly beneficial for a lot of people. Um, and going along different but same, uh, you have also posted quite a bit about your perspective and feelings about Black Lives Matter, the movement that is exploding right now, um, been been an issue, been a thing for a very long time. Um, and yeah, you've you just said some very powerful words. Um, so I want to give you just a little bit of like kind of open-ended space if you did want to say anything, either one of you, um, about your feelings towards what's going on, how it connects potentially to the van life community, um, and any of your favorite resources. I would love uh, any places or people that you think people should be paying attention to or learning from that is putting out really good content that we especially as white people just need to be paying attention to. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, you know, when all this came about along with COVID and everything, I mean, a lot was going through my head. And um, that initial post that I made was kind of, it was very personal post um, about kind of how I grew up. And I felt like it was important for me to give a different narrative in, in the way of, you know, wanting to shine light on Black Lives Matter, but also making a point to say that I grew up you know, with a Puerto Rican mother who passed when I was very young and I did not grow up with my black father and I had um, most of my family was white. And so I actually grew up in Minnesota for four years in a predominant area of Minnesota with my white Jewish mother. And, you know, I had a very different experience on kind of how I transitioned, um, you know, my earlier childhood into, you know, an adolescent and then now. And, you know, I have it's just a a very different perspective. And I wanted to shine light on, you know, the idea that I am very much for united love. I want to try and focus on the humanity of it and, you know, kind of take away from the separation that has become the fight. And, um, and luckily I got a lot of positive, a positive feedback from that because, you know, and my way of doing it is through my writing. I like to, you know, I wrote a couple poems on it. I did some spoken word and just to bring an art to it, bring something that's, you know, my heart into it without trying to, 
be, you know, I don't know all the ways to navigate through it. And I'm still learning from some of these bigger hubs on how to go about that. So my intention was to be able to show that I am a variety of human. I have all these different ways that I grew up. There's different parts of me um, that are important for people to hear because I think there's so many people um, that are mixed and people of color and in the LGBTQ community. I'm all of these minorities and all those things have made me stronger because I've had to like learn about being what I like to call myself a chameleon and like really understand what it's like to be in the white community and be accepted or to be in the white community and have people look at me because I have a white mother um, and not really growing up with my black father and not understanding that side of me. So um, yeah, there were so many personal feelings that came up from that. And that just kind of opened me up into these poems that I really needed to write for myself um, that I'm very happy for. And the fact that I could put it out there and have such a positive feedback was was huge for me. So um, yeah, I think my main focus is just humanity first. I, you know, I really, I really hope that we can stop dividing the idea and really focus on how can we come together as people, as as humans and understand each other better as opposed to trying to keep being so divisive. Yeah. Keep being so divisive within the space. Like we need to figure out better ways of how um, to do that. Um, One person that I will point out is Naomi from uh, Irito Aurora. We absolutely love her. Um, You know, me being a little bit more introverted and just coming out about this topic and feeling good about it. She has definitely empowered me to feel that I can do that. Um, she definitely has a very firm stance on how she feels and she has a very, um, intellectual way of, you know, of proposing what she needs people to hear and getting her word across. Uh, she also started Diversify Van Life and that's kind of what got us into starting LG, you know, our LGBTQ Van Life Pride page. Um, because, you know, she was kind of the first one to be like, hey, there's not a lot of us people of color on these social media feeds. We need to do something about it. And that kind of spawned all these different talks from all over. And so that only, you know, that only made me pay more attention to her when this was a big thing, you know, the BLM movement. And so I definitely think Naomi is someone to look for um, as far as someone that can really give some educational, you know, words to to people that need to hear it. And that is, you know, and she's building herself up slowly. And that means a lot to me. I've seen her grow so much from Mm -hmm. really being herself and really being assertive as a black woman. So definitely something to look out for. I have found that like, as, just as well, like, I, I have known, I, I haven't met her, but she knows a lot of my friends, and I have, like, followed her and known her for a really long time, and it's interesting um, that now that she is, she's standing, like, like you said, like, very unequivocal, like, she is, she firmly believes what mm-hmm. she believes, and she is voicing that, and she has grown tremendously because of speaking out and speaking for those things, um, and I, yeah, I, I admire that quite a bit, like, it's very powerful when you speak on something that you might be a little bit, not even saying she was, but if you might be nervous about, or it feels really personal or whatever. And then like you, you voice yeah. that and you get that type of response. Like that's very powerful for you. And you know, you as a follower just of Naomi to see that, I'm sure that, you know, that just helps as well. And like, cause and it, that goes into different communities. You know what I mean? In anything, you see someone that is speaking to you about something that's relatable. The only thing I can relatively relate it to is me talking about mental health. Like so many people were like, I've never heard anybody talk about social anxiety. And then that helps me knowing that I'm not alone and it helps them knowing that they're not alone. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I, I think it's really powerful that she has, she's grown so much and she's, it seems as though I don't want to make assumptions. Like she's getting more and more comfortable being bolder and bolder and bolder and speaking like the truth that 
she has experienced and uh, every like other people of color have experienced as well. Yeah, I think I mean, in a lot of it for me in before this movement on my, you know, Instagram, I, I run her Instagram and I really put myself out there in terms of opening up about my past and just who I am. And it really helps me because a lot of my poetry is about self-care. And so I do deal with anxiety and I've dealt with depression and I've gone through, you know, quite a bit of trauma. And I think the only way to navigate through that is to, you know, is to do so. And, you know, sometimes you have to step out, you have to step outside of yourself and you have to, you know, get out of your own way to really understand more about yourself. And I think putting myself in these poems, uh, which is self-care first and those people that really can relate to me trying to help myself, that's that's huge for me. It's a win-win for me. So um, yeah, being able to have a platform where I feel comfortable speaking out is uh is been is been therapy for me. Yeah, that's awesome. That's very nice to hear. Do you have any books that could be on the topic or or not on the topic? It could be about anything. Two favorite books. I would love. I try recommending a book at the end of every episode, and I forget about fifty percent of the time. So I wrote it down for a reason. <laughs> Well, I don't know if I have one specifically on the topic because I like to focus, you know, on, on like metaphor and what I get out of self-care. And so The Alchemist for me would definitely be one. I'd uh, like to say I introduced you to that book because it's my favorite book. Yeah, we both. It's a great <laughs> book. I have, it's, it's downright my favorite book. Um, the message is, is just pretty powerful about a shepherd who has these reoccurring dreams to go to the, the pyramids and, you know, it's all about his journey to get there when he realizes that, you know, the journey was actually the, the one teaching. The journey him. was the purpose. And that's so important, I think, for people on the road, um, people that are able to start this life and that want to get into it, um, you know, are, you know, always thinking about the future, always planning ahead and realizing that it's every step you take along the way that is the is the purpose, um, I think, in life. I think, mm -hmm. you know, it's, you know, the purpose of life is to is to search you know, the happiness in pursuit, it's the pursuit, it's not the pursuit of happiness, it's the happiness in the pursuit. The is happiness what I like, is in the pursuit. Is what I like to think. Yeah. So, yeah, very That's important cool. book I've to never me. actually heard that before. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, I came up with it right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's awesome. Um, okay, so The Alchemist, everyone, I don't think that's ever been recommended. Somehow, like the same books are always, yeah, yeah the same books are always recommended. I mean, it's that's majority my fault. Every week I like look around my van for like whatever book I can see and I'm always like that one. And then as soon as I say it, I'm like, you've probably recommended that book 12 times. Yeah. But yeah, The Alchemist, that is a fantastic book. I, I as well very much recommend that. Where can people find you to look you up i know we mentioned a couple of them but i would like to just go over all of them again yes so you can find us on instagram and youtube at let's play ride and seek we also have a website it's www.letsplayrideandseek.com on the website you'll find um recipes for the food we're making in the video i also have my photography photography portfolio on there and like all kinds of other stuff yeah, our blogs and yeah, poetry, kind of all of our art yeah. kind of bundled into one. We so. are on Facebook as well, if some people are into Facebook. Oh, Facebook. Let's play Ride and Seek. <laughs> but we basically just, whatever goes on Instagram or YouTube goes on Facebook. Yeah, that's so. more for our friends and family <laughs> that can't navigate through Instagram. It's for them, so. <laughs> and then we also, you know, Van Life Pride on Instagram. We run that, so you can check that out, too. Yeah, definitely. I, I think everyone should, I'm well, follow Let's Play Ride and Seek, of course, for these two, but Van Life Pride as well. Uh, Van Life Pride and Diversify Van Life, and then Diversify Van Life Book Club. There might be a period yeah. in that or not. I can't remember. But the yeah, book club. Yeah, and it's, I believe it's Diversified Dot Van Life. Yes, that's what yes. it is. There's a dot in there. Yes, yeah. there's two. Okay. So the yeah. dot. I'll, yeah. I'll tag everything um in the, in the, 
description and everything. But uh, yeah, I just think that that's important for everyone. Like I have learned a ton and having the book club like go over the chapters and stuff of certain books is very helpful because some of these books, like not only are the topics just very heavy and overwhelming, but like sometimes just the the wording and like the actual language of the book is like so far over my head that I'm just like reading the same thing. And I'm like, I so badly want to get it, but I do not get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, it's, yeah. just, it's hard. So yeah, having somebody navigate that is good. Um, And then your Patreons as well. Could you share those one more time for me? Yes. So we have um three different Patreons. They've got uh, w- Patreon is always www.patreon.com slash. And then it's Abigail's Artful Nudes empowerment via the lens and then let's play ride and seek awesome think that that's everything is there anything that you guys feel we did not touch on that you would like to talk about anything at all anything on your minds i don't believe so you did a a thorough job lady (laughs) (laughs) yeah we really enjoyed it we enjoyed chatting with you we're just happy to be a part of it yeah that's amazing uh well thank you for having or thank you for having me on yes Welcome to my podcast. You're welcome. <laughs> Thank you for coming on. Well, I haven't seen you guys in a while, so it was nice kind of catching up and, and getting to know you honestly a lot more than when I even got to meet you in person. No, absolutely. No. Well, we hope we hope we get to meet you yeah. in person another time and yeah. have once all this once a all longer this meeting, meeting hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> I'm headed to Indiana right now, so if you guys are still in that vicinity, I think you said you're going east, aren't you? Yes, we're yeah. headed east. For some gigs, photo shoots, and things like yeah. that. Yeah, we're probably what we're going to Pennsylvania. I think yeah. he's got family and stuff that way. So yeah. I mean, we'll be around the vicinity, but yeah, we're not sure. We're not yeah. quite sure yet. Okay. Um, okay. Yeah. Well, it was lovely having you guys on, and we will chat very soon. Okay. Awesome. Right. Thanks, Sydney. Yeah, of course. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye.